two things to think about today. One, this episode may look like it's just two coaches talking inside coaching. It's not. Ken Dreyer, the person I'm speaking with, is not a coach. And so this is actually an episode that I would recommend to managers, people interested in coaching, people that mentor others, people that are remotely curious about what coaching is or what good coaching questions look like, or I don't know what else. So we'll stop there. (laughs) One other thing to keep in mind with this episode, technology was not in our favor on this particular day. And even though I double-checked all the settings, my audio got recorded from my earbuds instead of the robust sounding microphone that I'm using now. So apologies for that. Hopefully you can overlook it and still hear whatever I have to say. Here we go. Today, I'm having a conversation with Ken Dreyer about a book called The Coaching Habit. Say less, ask more, and change the way you lead forever. Now, Ken and I met at Red Hat working on a particular software product, and somewhere along the line, I mentioned this book to Ken, and I mentioned this book to a lot of people in the last year. And he's the only one that came back and said, check this out. This works. Oh, this was really good. We were talking about it over chat the other day. And he was sharing once again, how it had informed a conversation he was having with some people. And I was joking. I was like, man, that, that book just has a lot of juice. And then it came back a couple of days later and I thought, wait, I think it has even more juice. Let's talk about it. So here's Ken. Hey, yeah. So, you know, like John said, I am uh, currently at Red Hat. I'm um, a software engineer. And so, you know, I'm not a manager. This book is directed to managers, but I'm not one of those. But I am a team leader, and I'm really passionate about fixing broken processes. And at my current job, you know, as a software engineer, of course, that means fixing a lot of code because sometimes the processes are bad because the code's bad. So we have to make our tools better. But it also means, you know, building a lot of good working relationships with the people around the organization who can affect the changes that I need. And sometimes fixing broken processes also means like helping the junior developers on our team level up. And the further that I go in my career, the more important that I'm finding that kind of teaching side of the job, you know, to be. So I think if I could retitle this book, I would probably call it how to ask good questions. <laughs> you know, the because <laughs> I think the author's main point is that we just give advice way too often. And coaching is all about asking effective questions. Yeah, he calls it taming the advice monster, which I think right. is a great term. Right. You know, one of the problems that I found is like, um, when I give advice over and over, then I become this like oracle to the rest of the team, like, oh, go ask Ken, you know, because he knows about this thing or whatever. And it becomes this huge over-reliance problem where everybody looks to me for the answers. And it just leads to some really bad patterns of working. And you were the oracle when when I remember, (laughs) but not in a bad way. Well, I mean, I never saw the bad side of it if there was one, but yeah, you were the, you were the go-to guy for certain things. It was like, Ken holds, <laughs> I don't even really know what an oracle is, but I, yeah, oracle, what is an oracle? <laughs> I guess I see it as like 
you know, in the ancient Greek times where they'd go to some temple and like, tell me the answer, you know, should I go fight this battle or do whatever, right? Yeah. And like I said, it leads to some bad patterns. Like, obviously, like, I want to go on vacation, you know, I want to have times where like, there's a break from work. And especially in the early years, um, it would just like, I didn't understand how to set those boundaries, you know, it would just get kind of frustrating. You know, there obviously there's a lot of things that you can do when you're in that situation. Um, one of the things I found really helpful that this book doesn't talk about is writing things down. You know, when somebody asks you a question in private and there'd be just so many instant message conversations or whatever, it's like, uh, you know, capture that question, write it down, put it in a blog post or, you know, put it into a, a document space that your team has that you can share that information. So the next time that that question comes up and it, it, it will like, um, you know, you can point people at that knowledge base essentially. Um, but that's just, you know, that's just one thing like the bigger picture, you know, that this book is talking about is, is really coaching and mentoring and walking people through, um, how to discover answers on their own. So that's fascinating. You're not a manager. I do see you as a leader and would now in your current role, and I don't, we haven't even talked about what your current role is these days. Are you, you have people that report to you? Are you a team? Like, what are you? Yeah, good question. So I was recently promoted to principal engineer. And so, you know, we had another principal engineer on the team, but um, he left for another opportunity. So now I'm the only principal engineer on the team. Um, And, you know, there's a couple other people who are also uh, engineers on the team as well. But basically, we're all what I think the term is like individual contributors, you know, so we don't have people reporting to us, we don't have, you know, like do other people's timesheets or that kind of stuff that I typically would think of a manager doing, but you're right. Like I, I'm really passionate about leading our team. Well, um, you know, leveling up the team, making sure that especially, you know, because we get junior developers on the team, we get interns, like we need these people to grow and develop. So how have you found the things? Cause I flipped through this book over the weekend fairly rapidly, but you know, wrote a page or two of notes of just different things. And one of the things that struck me was how direct and how evasive <laughs> some, when I say evasive, I mean, you know, someone comes to your, well, I was going to say someone comes to your cube. That doesn't really happen these days. They, well, they ping you the on Slack or cube. IRC, right. whatever. And Ken, I have this problem. And I'm having, a, I had a hard time as I was reading some of these, you know, like one of the questions is what's the real challenge for you here? So, I mean, right. <laughs> someone comes in, they ping you and they say, Ken, it's not building. What do I do? And you say, what's the real challenge for you here? That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and I guess kind of taking a step back, what you're referring to is this book, it breaks down like um, seven good questions to ask in coaching. Um, and the one that you're referring to is like, this question he calls a focus question, which is like, what's the real problem here for you? And, you know, that's a great question to ask for people. Um, one of the things he talks about there is the proliferation of problems. Like somebody might come to you and be like, hey, you know, this software is not building. Oh, and, you know, so-and-so is out of the office and I can't ask them. Or, you know, it's just kind of this chain of problems that are very, very loosely connected, if at all. And, and I just find myself asking like, what? you know, what, what are we, you know, what's the real problem here? (laughs) What are we trying to solve is another way that I would say that, you know, what, what problem are we trying to solve is 
so another way that I've kind of rephrased that sometimes. And you're right. Sometimes that does sound direct. I think the thing that I like about this book is how he breaks down each of those questions into variations of how to apply it. You know, I had a boss one time. Oh, and I should say the first uh, question on his list is a uh, kickstart question. He says, what's on your mind? You know, so you like ask somebody you're on the on a phone. Maybe it's like, hey, hey, how are you? You know. You can say, so what's on your mind? And it goes right away into what's exciting. And it's a great question. But I had a boss one time who just opened up every single one-on-one meeting with that exact <laughs> question, what's on your mind, every week for years. <laughs> so, you know, you, so you can, have a, do you like, is that, I'm hearing kind of a love-hate there. <laughs> that's exactly right. Love-hate, you know, because, um, like I've read this book, so I kind of understand a little bit more of what the intent is there. Um, but you're right. Like you don't want this book to become a formula that you just kind of smack people with. Like um, here's another example of that. You know, the second question is um, the awe question that he says, you know, so you say what's on your mind and then someone brings it up and then you say, and what else? Like to me, when I read that chapter, it's like, and what else? It's almost like, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> Now that you've told me all that crap, like, you know, <laughs> what's the real deal here? <laughs> you know, so, um, so you, you definitely, you have to build rapport with somebody and talk it through with them, you know, and actually actively listen. And I think he talks a little bit, well, a lot in this book about active listening. Um, and, and maybe we can get into that in a minute. Um, but yeah, I, you, you definitely can't use this as a formula to just stamp this on like a robot. You know, I'm going to write a chat bot that's just going <laughs> to... Oh, I bet you reply. could. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> or maybe you already have. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, and the idea in a peer coaching context, which which what I love, I'm going in three different directions. From a peer coaching context, the what else question is is the idea that usually what someone brings is their topic or their problem is not their problem. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, the software won't build... Sometimes, well, I think sometimes these things don't translate well to a to a technology environment. The software doesn't build, and I've done everything I can to figure it out, and I can't figure it out. Tends to lend the need for help, and there might also be something else going on there too, which is it won't build, and I'm afraid to ask this other person for help because they're going to bite my head off. Right, that's the real issue. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um... One of the tools he refers to in the book is the five whys, which I love. And maybe you can, you know, sometimes there's room to apply that of like, why would we want that particular branch to build right now when we're trying to ship or, you know, just different things like that. Um, But, you know, one of the huge ones that I love, one of the big questions in here is how can I help? You know, like you said, it gets a lot of, I guess, the job stuff, you know, that with the when people come to me and ask questions, oftentimes it's like they're seeking help. And so when I say, how can I help? That really focuses it. You know, we used to have this problem in our chat um, rooms in Red Hat where people would say, ping. You know, they're just saying, The ping, naked like, ping. Yes, the naked <laughs> ping, right? And there's a, if you Google naked ping, um, you know, it'll bring up this blog post that describes why that's a bad idea, you know, or uh, another form of that is hi. You know, somebody just sends you a message. Hi, Ken. It's like, um, hello. And what? You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, you know, and and so, um, like, uh, 
you know, and originally <laughs> John is talking about the bot thing because we did have a chat bot that would help us with a lot of different things, but it would, the bot would respond to naked pings and say, Hey, you know, please ask, go ahead and ask your question. Don't ask, ask. Um, but I started saying like, how can I help? Because I think that's a little bit more of a human response, but it also just cuts right to the issue of like, how can I actually help? Um, so I, I think that that one's very effective. No, it is a, a tweak on that that I've also used and learned from a, another coach recently was when someone's in distress or they're stressed or they're just like, ah, and they've thrown all this stuff is what do you need right now? Mm-hmm. Or what do you need most to help them kind of focus in on like, what do I really need? Oh yeah, I needed to build, but really I need to figure out how I'm going to talk to this person. Cause I need to have a relationship with them and the relationship isn't currently working. Yeah. Oh, okay. Let's work on that. Yeah, I really like that because sometimes, you know, like getting back into that over-reliance thing, some, I, I can fall in love with this, how can I help question because it brings it back to me. Like, how can I help you? And, and really what, you know, obviously that's, you never want to be unhelpful, but at the same time asking like, um, what do you need helps that person put the focus back on to like, Oh, there's actually two of us in this conversation right now. Beautiful. That's beautiful. As you were reading this book, what were some of the biggest surprises? <laughs> you know, I think really it just struck me like how often I provide answers. You know, he has this quote like answers are closed doors and questions are open doors that invite you in. Sometimes I would see questions as threatening, you know, especially when I'm in a position of power, maybe this developer is like new to the company and they're a junior intern or whatever. Um, But really like questions can be done in a non-threatening way. Um, And he works through a lot of good ways to do that. Another thing that I really liked was this idea of getting comfortable with silence. You know, as I've become more of the senior developer on my immediate team, I've learned to just like shut up during team meetings because in the book he says do everything that you can to not fill the void and that doesn't mean that you'd never say anything you know i can think of these things in black and white terms but it really means like listen actively you know don't pounce anytime that somebody says the wrong word like listen empathize try to know what's on the team's mind especially like the quieter people on the team and try to draw them out what I hear under there, and I think this is part of active listening, is is not listening to respond. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, one of the things, it's not in this book, but one of the things that helps me with that is, like, um, taking notes and every meeting or call that I have. Even if it's just, like, a one-sentence summary. You know, it's like Joe and I talked about the build system. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be this grand thing, but it really helps... You know, it helps if I'm like in an awesome meeting where everybody wants to be there and there's a ton of great ideas. And it also helps if I'm in a meeting that's really lame and boring and frustrating (laughs) and I don't want to be there, you know, start writing down like what's going on in this meeting. (laughs) Yeah, because it's a great way to distance uh, myself. And, you know, I start seeing things written down on paper. You start to think strategically about like, what can I change here? Or, you know, should I change anything here? And for me, sometimes it was a way of just venting. And instead of being <laughs> right. stuck in the loop in my head, it was just, just trying to get some of it down on paper and totally yeah, a release valve. 
What? So what? What else? You said there were several things you loved in this. And what else? So, so it wasn't on purpose. I promise. You know, um, asking one question at a time. Oh, you know, so huge. And I'll say, just tying that back to the previous thing again. Like, if I'm taking notes off to the side during a call or a meeting. That really helps me formulate exactly one question that I want to ask rather than, you know, just shooting from the hip. So it slows you down. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that as a benefit. That's beautiful. Keep going. Yeah. You know, there are some really great jumping off points in this book to some bigger topics. Um for example, he references the drama triangle in here, which I just really love, like the villain, the victim, and the hero. Not sure if he uses those exact terms, but you know, that's kind of the idea that you can kind of bounce around that drama triangle playing the role in each one. Um, and so, like, for example, somebody came to me <laughs> a few months back and was like, man, like, this is a friend, yeah, a casual friend. They're like, you know, my job just really sucks. This guy is in software engineering, you know, so so you kind of get the sense it's like, okay, are you looking for a job at Red Hat? Like, are you looking to move jobs? Are you like, I'm not sure where this conversation is going, you know? So in those three roles on the dry, drama triangle, it could be like, I guess in the, in the, um, in the, in the villain role, you know, be like, yeah, yeah, man, your job does suck. Like, that's too bad, you know, or something like like you know kind of rubbing it in or in the hero role it'd be like okay well um you know what uh send me your resume and like i'll go like apply to some jobs for you you know or something (laughs) um and and then in the victim role it would kind of swing back around to like oh like why did i say that i was gonna you know take this guy's resume and start you know shopping it around like this guy you know like he he's not motivated he's just not doesn't have the skills, you know, all that stuff. So you start playing the victim role of like, oh, you know, I forced myself into this. I overcommitted and, you know, it's, woe is me kind of thing. Um, But the, like, one of the cool things about this book is it, you know, it talks so much about asking questions versus giving advice. And it really, when I ask the questions, plug the questions in here, it allows me to exit that drama triangle, you know, and I can ask him. So, you know, maybe not the question of how can I help right off the bat, but like, you know, what's the real problem here for you would be a really great one um, to ask, you know, and drill down on like, what, what do you not like about your job? And then the, some of the other questions, like, what do you want? You know, um, wow, I never thought about like, what do I actually want out of my job? You know, Mm. (laughs) that kind of stuff. Say more about the drama triangle. So it's the way he, he calls it the Carmen K-A-R-M-A-N, drama triangle. And mm-hmm. you seem to be really familiar, because we talked about this before, and I just kind of skimmed past it. And I'm, So the idea here for the listener is there's a triangle, and so there's three points in the triangle, and at one point is the villain, at one point is the victim, and at the other point is the hero. Right. My understanding of this, and maybe you can help me clarify, is is identifying where you are in the triangle in a given situation. And then you want to leave the triangle? Yeah, because otherwise um, you can get caught in that cycle, you know, of just going back and forth between being the villain and the victim and the hero, you know, over and over again. Um, Kind of the cycle of either overcommitment or, 
they're just like, and the villain role would be like, hey, I'm not going to help you at all. You know, um, I'm going to sabotage you, you know, <laughs> or, or something like that. So the idea is we're operating from one of these points in the triangle and it's not helping us. Yes. Yes. And the sooner we can exit the triangle, the better off we'll be in addressing whatever situation we're in. Yeah. Where do you usually find yourself in this triangle? Oh, definitely. You know, I try to stay away from the villain role, but I can totally oscillate between the hero and the victim thing of, you know, again, with the overcommitment stuff, it's like, oh, well, I know how to fix the build system. So I should just, uh, I should just go do that right now, even though it's Friday evening, you know, um, and I got a thing to do with my family. It's like, nope. Um, you know, I should be the hero here and, you know, uh, type, type, type away. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, past 5 PM on a Friday and I'm really feeling better. Like, ah, oh, this, this job, like why, you know, nobody else can figure this out. Uh, come on, <laughs> you know? Um, well, what I'm hearing here too, is it's kind of a dopamine hit. I'm going to feel really great. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to swoop in with my cape on and save the day. Right. And then in saving the day, you move to the victim of like, oh my gosh, this is happening to me. Right. Life is happening to me. And then it could even, maybe in our worst moments, not you, maybe me, sweep, sweep over to the villain point of like, well, I'm going to stick it to these guys now because look what they did to me. <laughs> right. And then, it, okay, so in the so drama triangle in the sense of this just perpetuates the drama and the pain. Right, right. And I think that also, you know, when you're, we haven't talked about the other party involved, but sometimes when you're involved with a tricky person, they can start trying to suck you in. You know, if they are a villain, if they're playing the villain role, they can try to suck you in to be the hero or the victim. Um, you know, so the more people involved, the more complicated it gets. Well, what's striking me too, can you have, do your drama triangles interact with each other? Like that sounds like a recipe for chaos. Right. It totally does. Yeah. Yeah, you know, if somebody's being the victim, they're trying to get you to engage as either a villain or a hero, you know, if they're in a place of really, you know, going through some hard things or a place of unhealth, um, that can totally happen. Oh, you just shed some new light on this thing for me. So the, so if I'm in a particular, so if I'm in the, I don't know, say I'm in the villain point, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get you to be the hero or the victim. Yeah, sometimes. You know, and it's wow. it's subconscious for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I thought it was all right. scripted. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So. <laughs> no, for sure, for sure. Huh. Yeah, um, Jim Deathmer has some stuff on this too. He calls it the drama triangle. I don't know if it's the same one, but I'll link to it because he talks about this in one of his podcasts and some of his work. But I, that's why I first came across this term and then realized later that it was in this book so oh, cool. yeah thanks for bringing that up back to your well did you want to say any more about the drama triangle because i wanted to go back to this idea of asking one question yeah totally let's go back to that one i it's so funny i have a post-it on my wall it says ask one question dot dot <laughs> dot stop it's been there for maybe four years five years i don't know somewhere at the beginning of my coaching training it went up there and it's never left and it just, we were laughing. I was laughing so hard. We were laughing so hard before I pushed record because I was asking Ken, 
Ken, how do you want me to introduce you? Well, I was thinking of introducing. <laughs> I was like so busted. Yeah. <laughs> Not only, and so I see this everywhere. I see it in my biggest pet peeve these days is on podcasts mm. with really, really well-known interviewers. Yes. Ken, I was wondering what you think about this idea of coaching. You know, I've had a lot of coaching in my own life and then they go on and on and on for like five minutes and then it's yes. like, or they ask like three questions and then where should we go from there? I don't know that I have a point except that I wanted to make a point. <laughs> well, I think you have an earlier podcast about this, if I'm right. But I think the the big takeaway is like, it's just confusing. You know, which question am I supposed to answer? Yes. Um, what was the question even? <laughs> well, no, and it ties back to the thing of silence. Yeah. One question and a long, awkward pause <laughs> can really reveal what's going on. And I learned this early in my um, project. I took this project management class at a local university that taught this. They said, you know, in your project meetings, don't try to fill the space. When you ask a hard question, you ask for an update, like, when will this be ready? Don't fill the space. Just wait. Yeah. And sometimes that's worked for me and sometimes not. But more often than not, it did, I guess. Yeah. I guess I should leave this awkward silence in. There you go. Uh, where should we go next? <laughs> well, let's see. Um, I had some questions for you. Oh, do it. Do it. I love those. That'll make it even more interesting, especially if you disagree with me. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, here's my questions for John. So you can meet many different people. Like I meet people at a party or in the park or my neighbor or something. When do I use these coaching questions? Uh, well, <laughs> I was kind of asking you that at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, oh, I would quite, well, let's see. I think I would be coming from a place of saying, does this, does this moment, does this situation warrant this question? And if I wasn't sure, I might ask for permission. So one of the cornerstones of, my experience, really good coaching and powerful, somewhat potentially offensive coaching <laughs> yeah. is asking someone's permission. Hey, Fred, I know, you know, you've been sharing with me your job. You know, okay. Uh, the context is maybe we're at a barbecue. We're standing in someone's backyard and Fred's been going on and on about how his job is just screwing him. I could just start saying like, what's the challenge for you, Fred? Right. <laughs> Which would be really awkward considering I don't really know Fred. Right. Or I could say, hey, Fred, I know we don't know each other very well. In my regular life, a lot of times I have conversations with people and sometimes ask them awkward but maybe powerful questions that help them get clarity. Would it be okay if I tried one on right now with you? Now, there's probably like a smoother that. way to say that, but that's an example of asking permission. Yeah. Fred, can, yeah. I, can I get kind of awkward with you? <laughs> Like, can I, can I potentially be the person that you've never talked to at a barbecue before and speak to what I'm seeing and ask you some questions that might help you figure this out if you really want to figure it out? And sometimes that's even the first place to start. Yeah. There's no, you know, it's a, it's a closed in question, which is a quote, not so great coaching question, but Fred, 
do you want to change the situation? Do you want it to be better? Are you pretty cool with how it is? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is what it is. You know, it's just, yeah, I don't, yeah, it's probably never going to change. I was just (laughs) right. Okay. Well, if you ever want to do something with it, let me know. Like we could have another conversation or it could be, yeah, it's, it's about, you know, it's, it's killing my family and, and we're about to get divorced. So yeah, like anything you've got, I'll take right now. Okay. That's a totally different, in other words, so I think I would, um, I'd be checking in with the other person. I'd be checking in with the situation. I'd be checking in with myself. What's my motivation? Am I just looking to stroke my own ego with that? I can ask this powerful question and stick it to this guy or (laughs) like a recent podcast. Like, where's my heart? Like, am I coming? Is my heart coming from a place of love and care and compassion for this person in front of me? My questions and where I'm coming from is going to be totally different than if I'm like, oh, I'm a coach. I can fix this guy's life. All right. right. Buckle up. Here we go. <laughs> Answer my tough questions and you'll feel better. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe feel worse. I yeah. Don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not coming to your backyard again, John. Thanks a lot. That's right. Well, you know, I, th- I do think about this a lot because I'm not a coach, you know, and so, and I'm not a manager either, but so, so it just makes me wonder like, what is the right context, you know, for using these things? But I love that you're living in this space because one of the first things, the very first coach I ever worked with challenged me with was to be an entrepreneur inside my company. Mm. And she called it an intrapreneur. I was like, what is that? She said, well, instead of thinking like an employee, think like an entrepreneur, think like a consultant. If you were a consultant that was being paid thousands of dollars to fix this situation or to help this company get on its feet or this department, what, how would you, who would you be being? Yeah. I'm like, whoa, that's a different mindset. So what I hear and what you're doing and what you're up to is you're, you're being in the mindset of a leader of a, we're going somewhere, regardless of whether you have the title or not. Yeah. I love that. Well, here's my second question for you. So the book says, you know, stop giving out advice and start asking questions. Well, this itself is advice, you know. So (laughs) when do you give someone advice and when do you not? So I've really struggled with this, especially in a, so my coaching training was very rigorous And when I was going through my certification program, there was no room for advice. And it was, you know, if if you ventured into any advice giving, you got dinged for it. So I was very, very careful. And that was actually one of the things I originally loved about coaching was, oh, I get to figure this out for myself. I'm going to give myself my own advice instead of taking everyone else's bad advice. Hmm. The places where I've started to veer into like, okay, I'll give you some advice if it's like, if it's really silly. Hey, John, do you have any good books on coaching? Well, Ken, what's the deeper challenge for you here? <laughs> it's like, shut right. up, John. I already looked on Google. <laughs> like, right. What did Google tell you, Ken? Like, right. So there are certain, I don't know, when it's, when it's information or it's, um, I don't know, I guess it'd be the context. What's the relationship? Uh, as... Has Ken come to me five times and asked me for books on coaching? Mm-hmm. You, you haven't. I'm just making this up. Yeah. No, you know, yeah. Okay, this is the sixth time. You know what, Ken? 
let's get out, let's do a screen share on Zoom and let me show you how to use Google. And let me show you how to go to your local library. That would be like advice. And one of the things that I... I think stand out to me about the screen share solution is that we're participating in it together. And I think that, you know, what I've realized in the past is um, my inclination would be like, well, let me spend like a half hour Googling that um, where you go get to have fun for 30 minutes while I go do this work. And it really needs to be like, no, we are participating in this together and it's costing us both the same amount of time to put in the work. Um, that's beautiful. You took my, I was kind of joking around, but that's your, your spot on. And what keeps coming to me too, in these conversations is this idea of scale, which yeah. is an overused corporate. We got to scale this situation. We got to learn to scale, <laughs> <laughs> which is essentially what you're doing, but in a positive way. And yeah, I'm not mocking it at all, but that word scale is right. just, should be on a bingo card somewhere. Well, my last question is when have these questions failed you? I would say these questions usually fail. Well, I I kind of alluded to it earlier. If I'm not coming from a good place, like if my motivations are amiss, they don't tend to work. And thinking purely, I was going to say, there's something about the other person too which I'm a little conflicted as I'm speaking because I'm all about, you know, the only thing I can control is me and taking ownership. And it's not about the other person. It's about what I'm doing. And yet I have see, I guess I've been in some situations where the other person didn't, I don't want to say they weren't coachable. Well, maybe that is the term. In other words, they, they didn't, they didn't want to go there. They just wanted the advice. That was it. They, in other words, they weren't. What I love about what you're doing and what I hear and all this stuff, you're you're looking like two or three levels deeper. What's really going on here? What? Who am I being? What's happening? Why? Why am I in this hero victim thing? And how do I get out of it? Versus just someone fix my life and tell me what to do. <laughs> you know, for me, and maybe you've put this into words, but. Recently, I was walking through some of these questions with someone, and they the answers were like, "I don't know." Like, you know, if you ask somebody, like, um, "Ooh, yes. yes, what do I want?" I don't know. How do you respond with that? Oh, I love this question. I love this question. There's several. Okay, there's several places to go. There's one school of thought that says, "I don't know," is a cop out that in our deep subconscious, we really do know, and that we're just avoiding. Sometimes I think that's true. Sometimes I think for people that live in their heads too much, like myself, it's, it like compounds the problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, if, so if I see so you say, John, so what do you really want in this situation? And I say, don't, I don't know. And you say, well, John, you really, ju- you really do know. You're just not willing to go there. Right. Then I get pissed. Cause I'm like, well, how do you know I won't go there? And, uh, so I have heard that point of view espoused. I think there's something to, to it. Depends on the situation. I have, I had a facet, I've had some fascinating conversations with people where maybe we're coaching. Typically it's in the context of coaching where, you know, I don't know. So sometimes I'll play with that. Wow. 
What's it like to be in a place of not knowing? Well, what do you mean? Like, well, what's it like in the land of I don't know? Oh, it's depressing. It's frustrating. It's, I just feel so stuck. And then we might talk about being stuck or how they might want to get unstuck. And then it's not about I don't know. It's about being stuck. I think I was maybe scared to bring up the idea, or, or maybe I was just a little hesitant to say, what's it like to not know? It can come off. I don't like a you're a therapist. Bit, you yes, know what I mean? Yeah, or yeah. Uh, yeah, that I'm a therapist or also that it's a little bit like too rude or something. Cheeky? Like, yes, cheeky. Oh, that's okay. the word. Yeah. So in this, in this particular context, for some reason, I can remember exactly where I was sitting. I can't remember exactly who I was talking to. Oh, maybe I can't. Um, it was said from a place of, again, it's all where you're coming, where, where is the question coming from? Is mm -hmm. it, oh my gosh, I'm so frustrated with this person. I wish they would just finally get it together. Dude, what's it like to not know? Come on. Yeah. Which is <laughs> totally different from a place of, I, in this, this is several years ago, but I'm remembering it as just this very spacious, open, wow, we're just, hmm, wow, what is it like to not know? And it was very grounded and said with, like, there was, there was a different energy going on. Yeah. You know what? It may not, now that I'm thinking about it, if I'm totally, I think it was actually from a supervision session that I had early on where I was listening to this thing with my, with a supervisor. And I was like, yeah, where do I go with this client? They're always in this place of, I don't know. <laughs> and that's where her suggestion was talk about it, speak to it. Do you think that's a little bit more effective when it's a pattern? Versus like the first. Yes. Thing okay. Yes. Yes. Again, when I'm talking to Fred at the barbecue and I'm like, so Fred, like, well, okay. So, so it sounds like you're getting totally screwed at your job. What do you want to do next? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Wow. Fred, what if you did know? No, <laughs> no I know. That's totally, that's totally what I'm picturing. It's like, wait, what? this is yes. taking a very weird turn. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 And so it's context. How well do you know the person? What's really going on? Do they really want to know? Um, I mean, I'll share from my own life. Recently, I was in kind of a, I was in kind of a dark place, and I was, it was so great because I bring when I meet with my coach, I bring it all. I bring exactly where I am, even if it's about him. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't think you can help me today, but whatever, we're just meeting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I started this thing with, you know, I really don't know where to go. And he asked me the best question. And I was, I cannot, anyone that's a coach out there, anyone else, maybe use it in your life. He said with the most love and kindness, he said, okay, cool. Tell me five things you know and five things you don't know. I'm like, okay, well, I know that by the end of today's session, something's going to happen that I never saw coming and I'm going to feel better and kind of, you know, get back on the track again. What I don't know is how that's going to happen. But I do know, and we just, I just went, I don't even know if I got to five or 10 or whatever, but it completely unlocked things to kind of bounce back and forth between this is what I know, this is what I don't know, this is what I know, this is what I don't know. And it just took the, the charge. Cause I think there's a lot of, um, at least for me, when I'm in that place of I don't know, it brings up a lot of self judgment. Well, I should know. Right. And then I feel even worse. <laughs> so I don't know where I've taken us. Bring us back. Yeah, I like it because, you know, you could, I think that, um, you know, when you're a manager, you don't get to choose your reports, 
right? And um, sometimes you can jump into these one-on-ones, ask what's on your mind, and nothing. <laughs> you know? Yes. It's yeah. Like, oh, okay. And you know, when it's coaching, usually the people are mo- motivated to be there and so on. Um, when you're a manager, that can be more up in the air. So I That's a great distinction. Yes. Yeah. Yes. What advice would you give for a manager that's kind of in that situation where they're just not getting a whole lot back? I struggle with this one as a manager myself. In other words, I'm not much of a small talker. Mm-hmm. You know, the the first, so how was your weekend? And what did you do with your family? And okay, now let's get to your to-do list. A lot of times I just skip that stuff. I <laughs> just go straight to like, so what are, you know, what's going on? Yeah. And the person that doesn't want to go there, I think it would, I want to say it all depends. I might speak to it. Seems like you don't really want to go there today. Yeah. There's, there's, yeah. In fact, I feel like that was one of the last pages of the book or somewhere in here was the idea of being curious. And I would phrase it as being curious about what is or what's occurring to me. It seems to me, I'm getting this sense. Like you really don't want to go there. Do you like what's going on? Do you not like small talk? Do you just want to talk about, your problems and then I can free you up to go solve your problems or whatever you're working on. I think for the, you did a great job there holding the silence. I think too, for the, the person that has the direct report that never knows what they want. And it's just this kind of ongoing power struggle or battle is maybe to, to issue some ultimatum. I'm here to help you. <laughs> I'll get you some help. <laughs> if I'm the wrong person to help you, let me know. And we need to move past this by a certain period of time, or we're going to have to come up with something different. Yeah. Because it can be a way to, because I have seen in, within my coaching, I have seen direct reports hold managers hostage. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And the manager's just kind of chasing them around, trying to figure out what it is and guess what's in their mind. And it's, it's like the reportee is, has all the power. I'm not a fan of that. But yeah. you're going to say something. Oh, it just reminds me of the chapter that we talked about a while back. Was it Steve Chandler's book about reaching agreement versus Oh, agreements. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, bring that in because I'll link to that as well. I think it just reminded me of like, that's a situation where it's like, I could lay out the hard line as the boss, like, these are my expectations, you know, so get in line. (laughs) Or it's like, we could reach an agreement. And I think in that chapter, he talks about like, ultimately, it's like, if you can't keep your agreements, you know, there is the carrot and the stick stuff in there, for sure. But, um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a more collaborative process, essentially. Like, what would work for you? And what Ken's speaking to here is uh, Steve Chandler has this idea of creating agreements with people as being far more powerful than having expectations of them. A lot of times when we have expectations for people, we haven't even articulated them. And they have expectations for us, and they haven't articulated them either. And then we're living in this morass of frustration because nobody's expectations are being met. 
<laughs> so in his way of just cutting through things like a knife, which he does, he he likes to say, I like to form agreements with people. So sit down and say, could we come to an agreement that we will do this by this date or that you will do this or that I will do that or whatever. And the language, just like the language in this book, can feel a little stiff. Some of my clients have challenged me on it. And I think there are softer ways to do it. But I've even seen this work with my wife even where, you know, I expect <laughs> that she will do a certain thing or be a certain way. And then she's not. And I get all mad. And then when I go to her and I say, could we agree <laughs> that in this situation, you will do this and I will do that? And she'll say yes or she'll say no. But we have a, we have a much cleaner arrangement that leads us to a much better place. So that's the idea of agreements and expectations. Anything you would add to that? No, I think we've covered it. Well, any final thoughts on the coaching habit I should mention? Oh, look at that. I asked my question and then I added more. Okay, I'm going to add a little more and then you can respond. So the coaching habit, I've, <laughs> I'm still working on this. The, the author of this book, by the way, is Michael Bungay Stanier. So Ken, any final thoughts, questions, things we left out to say about the coaching habit? You know, one last thing that occurs to me is like, who is this book good for? You know, um, because when I've read it, like I just mentally substitute in the word leader for manager whenever he's saying like, Managers need to know their people. It's like, well, that's true of all leaders, right? But I would say, you know, the, t the couple of concrete scenarios that have come to my mind, you know, we have summer interns that come at Red Hat. And this means that sometimes our engineers become mentors for these interns. So these engineers, they might not be managers and never want to be, but they're put into a manager type role um, because they need to learn how to lead these interns. So I think that that book really applies in that situation. Beautiful. And what, what pops to my mind there too is the classic, well, the definition often of mentor though is like advice giver. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so yes, if you're putting in, if you're, so I guess maybe a challenge for me and maybe from you as well would be if you're putting in, if you're put into a mentor role, don't automatically assume that role. You may get a more powerful outcome for your mentee if you also occasionally put on the, the hat of coach. And maybe you want to do it with permission versus just assuming it. Yeah. All right, Ken. Cool. Well, thanks so much. Thanks for uh, your ongoing feedback on this book. It's been really, really fun to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. It's been fun for me, too. Thanks for listening to The John Polster Show. Notes, links, and all that other good stuff for this episode are at johnpolster.com slash podcast. Send your questions, ideas, or a simple hello to podcast at johnpolster.com. Want to stay up to date on new episodes and receive notifications of upcoming events? Register your email address at johnpolster.com slash updates. <laughs>